you to open your Bibles to the Psalter. And although your bulletin says Psalm 73, I made a last-minute change. Well, it was on Friday, but the bulletins had already been printed. Uh, but we're going to look at Psalm 87. Psalm 87, which is found on page 585 in the Pew Bibles. Psalm 87, beginning with verse 1, brothers and sisters, this is God's holy word. A psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, This one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples, This one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, All my springs are in you. Oh, thanks be to God for his word. Well, I'm sure most of you are aware that the Psalter is broken up into five books. Five books. And each book is generally characterized by, by a central theme. It kind of winds its way and threads its way through all the psalms of that book. And book three of the Psalter is where we find ourselves this morning. And that begins with Psalm 73 and ends at Psalm 89. And overall, if you read these books or these psalms in this book, there is definitely a sense of distress, turmoil, crisis in the life of God's people. Well, Psalm 87, then, is a psalm that in many ways seems out of place from Book 3 of the Psalter. There is no crisis. There's no expression of God's judgment that is coming. There's no feeling that God has abandoned them. That's the case with all the other psalms in this book. It is a contrast with some of the surrounding psalms, Psalm 84. It expresses a longing to be in the courts of the Lord. The psalmist couldn't be there for some reason, and he desires to be in the courts of the Lord. It's a tough valley that he needs to walk through. Psalm 85, there needs to be a restoration of God's people, and the Lord needs to lead them. Psalm 86, it's the only psalm that we have written by David in this book of the Psalter, and David is crying out to the Lord, in the midst of his day of trouble. In Psalm 88, which many of you are probably familiar with, is probably one of the darkest psalms in all the Psalter. And it ends with the psalmist crying out in the lonely darkness. So we have Psalm 87. And it really stands as a beacon of light in the midst of these very dark and very hard journeys of this psalmist. So God, through the psalmist, allows his people, in some ways, just to pause, to rest kind of cash their breath, if we're honest, in the midst of these journeys that they're on. They need to regain their hope, regain their bearings as they're in the midst of this pilgrimage to their final destination. Now, some of you may know, and some of you like me, like to hike and spend time in the mountains. And one of the things you need to do quite often is just to stop and look around. Not only to see God's beautiful creation that he has given to us, but also just to make sure you're on the right path, kind of, in your bearings a second. 
I was hiking in the mountains in the southern Sierras a number of years ago, and as I was watching somebody take a turn, they were going in a direction that took them 60 miles to the parking lot. They weren't ready for that. They turned the other way, it was eight miles. But their head was down, they were just focused, and they took the wrong turn. So we had to cry out, hey, I think you're going the wrong way. So focused on just following the path, lost their bearings. Tired, we understand it. Starting to go in the wrong direction. So Psalm 87, in, in many ways, causes us, it allows us to just pause, take a stop, and just look around. Get our bearings in the middle of our wilderness journey to see where we are going, to be reminded of where we are going. So many ways God has provided us a rest stop, especially before the darkness of Psalm 88 that is just to come. And many of you, I'm sure, are on a tough road. Maybe you need a break. And for a whole host of reasons. I know at my church we have brothers and sisters that are mourning and grieving the loss of loved ones, even children, tragically. Some of them aren't sure what the next few days, next few weeks, months are going to look like for them. The same, I'm sure, can be said here with this congregation. So there is much turmoil. There's a lot of unrest in our world right now. We need a break. And guess what? We're in a place where we can have a break. We have this usual rest stop of the Lord's day. In the midst of a busy week, we come into God's house, and we're served by him. We get this break. And as we know, in the last couple of years, even that was thrown into turmoil for a while. But God has been faithful to us. Everything is under his control. Let's take a break. Let's hear from our God this morning. The very psalm we have for, before us this morning is an oasis in the midst of our wilderness. So as we're in the midst of our rest stop, let's stop, get our bearings, see what's around us, and be refreshed by the Lord. We're going to consider this psalm under three points this morning. And the first point is, where are we going? The second point is, who is going to be there? And finally, what is going to be there? So where are we going? Who is going to be there? And what is going to be there? And brothers and sisters, may you, Christian, be blessed by the Lord as you look forward to the heavenly Zion, which is our eternal and blessed hope and our eternal and blessed home. So first, let's think about where are we going? And in many ways, Psalm 87 begins very abruptly. It begins very emphatically. It seems as if the psalmist is just so excited, he just blurts out the first thing that comes to his mind. He thinks about a certain place. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. In verse 3, he cries out, Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. So we're immediately taught, we're brought into the mind of the psalmist. He's excited. He's refreshed. He's thinking about a specific place. And in verse 2, we get to know what that place is. He's talking about Zion. That's the place, the city, where Yahweh himself has put his name, and where his temple is ultimately built. And we're told then that God loves it more than any other place among the dwellings of his people. But it's important for us to remember why God loves this place. Why is this place holy? Because God chose it. God chose it. And yes, the, the city of Jerusalem this, on this mountain it was an impressive city. It was a wonderful place to, to have, kind of your capital city. It could be well defended. But there wasn't anything inherently holy about that place. 
when God's people came into the promised land, pagans were living in Jerusalem. David had to kick them out. So there wasn't anything especially holy about that place. But God chose it. It's holy because God chose it to be his. God himself, Yahweh himself, made that location holy. But it's a holiness that can be removed as well. It's a holiness that can be taken away from that city. And if you know anything about the people of Israel, there was a time when God would remove his holiness from the city of Jerusalem. His presence, as Ezekiel says, is like a cloud that goes out of the temple and is gone. But also listen to the beginning of Psalm 79, the first three verses. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruin. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. What city are we talking about here? This is Jerusalem. This is the glorious city of God. But the psalmist looked around. What did he see? Jerusalem's in ruins. Bodies laying in the street. Blood spilled all over the place. At a certain point in real history, the psalmists were not crying out, glorious things of the earth focus. They looked around and they saw death, destruction, blood, bodies. Earlier in Psalm 74, Asaph cries out, remember Mount Zion where you have dwelt, past tense. God's presence wasn't there. Direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. The enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. Those are the types of crises that are found in Book 3 of the Psalter. As Asaph and the others looked around, destruction, not a holy place any longer. And as you know, Jerusalem was ultimately conquered by the Babylonians. Seventy years later, a remnant returned, and they came and they rebuilt the temple. It wasn't as glorious of a temple, but even that was temporary. There is a place that could have its status of being holy taken away? If there's a place that can be defiled by God's enemies, that's not our ultimate destination. That's not the place that we are on a pilgrimage to. That's not where our hope is. That's not where the psalmist's hope was. It's not our hope. We need a place that's permanent, whose holiness can never go away. But here in the city of Jerusalem, it was to be a beacon of light in the midst of the pagan nations around. But as we know, that light was temporary. That light went out. And why did that light go out? Through the sins of God's people. That Zion was a type. It was a picture of something greater to come. A place where the foundation on a mountain that cannot be shaken. A place that cannot be defiled. It's a mountain that cannot lose its status of being holy. It's a light that can never be extinguished. That's what even this earthly Zion was pointing to. That's where the author of Hebrews makes it very clear that any Zion that was here on earth is just a copy of the heavenly Jerusalem, the heavenly Zion. 
God has prepared a heavenly city, a Mount Zion, which is the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, from Hebrews 11 and 12. Listen to some more of these words from Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 13 to 16. Let me just read a few verses here. These all died in faith, speaking of the heroes of the faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are speaking a whole land. If they had been thinking about the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Abraham, his sons, the people of Israel, what are they called here? Pilgrims, exiles, sojourners. They're looking at the promises of God from afar. Their homeland, it isn't here to come. A better country, a heavenly country. That's where Abraham and his sons and God's people, they were looking forward to that. And so Psalm 87, in in many ways, has been the cry, it's been the desire of God's people for a very long time. Really, ever since the beginning. As they're looking forward to the true, everlasting city of God. They're also looking for a light. Looking for a place where God's light would shine to the world. That was supposed to be Jerusalem. That light went out. But even that was pointing to Jesus Christ, the true temple, the one who came as a light into the darkness. The darkness could not overcome this light. Brothers and sisters, in the midst of your journey, which, which vary from everybody sitting here, your trials and your struggles are different. But there's one constant. One constant. One city of God. One city that is holy. It will be holy for all of eternity. That's where we're going. That's what we are looking forward to. I hope you are. The true dwelling place of the triune God amongst the midst of his people. So if we're honest, we need a break to think about that city, don't we? Glorious things were said of the earthly Jerusalem. Also horrible, disturbing things. We need good news. I need good news. I need news that God is with us. I need news that I will be with God for all of eternity in his eternal city. The Apostle John records in Revelation, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. That's the city that we are citizens of right now. We are citizens of that city. We belong to that city, but we're not there yet. Pilgrims. We're exiles in this earthly city. It's going to pass away. We are on our journey. We are on our wilderness journey to that city. And if we're honest, quite often we maybe crawl on our way, barely able to make it. We're on our way to an eternal city. Maybe you're mourning death, maybe you're struggling in many different ways, the troubles of the world, the troubles in the church, failures of men, 
your own failures, whatever it is. We're on our way to the heavenly city of Jerusalem. And how did God comfort Abraham? Abraham was a sojourner. He didn't, he didn't even have a place to bury his wife. He had to buy a plot of land. It's a small plot of land to buy or bury his wife. How did the Lord comfort Abraham? This is a city to come. A city whose architect, whose builder is God himself. That's your city. That's my city. It's the city of all God's people. And that brings us to our second point. Who is going to be there? Verses 4 and 6, 4 through 6 of Psalm 87, in many ways they're utterly profound and they're very excited. They're very exciting and I hope you were excited to hear them. Because they tell us who is going to be in this glorious city of God. And if we're honest, the list is kind of surprising. Rahab. Now you may be thinking of Rahab in the book of Joshua, but this is another way of speaking about Egypt. The nation of Egypt is called Ahab and the prophets especially. So Egypt, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, Cush, which is Ethiopia. It's an interesting list. And in fact, the psalmist uses these few nations to speak of all the nations. Not just those immediately surrounding the physical promised land, but by throwing in Cush, speaking of all these, all these nations far away. But for God's people, this is a very surprising list. In fact, it's a disturbing list. How would God's people think about Egypt? That's where they came from. They were enslaved in Egypt. Babylon, another place, a large superpower. God's people came out of Egypt as slaves, and they're going to be going to Babylon as slaves in a few years. What about Philistia and Tyre? Well, they were always a trouble and a nuisance for the people of Israel. They were close by, always causing God's people to go into sin, follow idols. But also these faraway nations, Ethiopia, Cush. Now, what is this list about? Why are these nations listed? It wasn't an accident. The psalmist had a purpose. And now the psalmist here, he isn't talking about these nations coming to ransack or destroy the nation of Israel. That's going to happen. It's all throughout the, the, all the prophets. He's also not talking about these nations being destroyed by God. That's what the people wanted. The prophets speak of that as well. They're going to be destroyed by God. Why are these being included here now? Look at the beginning of verse 4. Among those who know me. Among those who know me. And what's the refrain that we hear here a few times throughout these verses? This one was born there. This one was born in Zion. What is Yahweh doing in verse 6? He's recording. He's registering the people. So think about all that the psalmist is stating in these verses. Think about them as being a Jew in Jerusalem or in, in Judah broadly. The psalmist speaks about knowing God. It's a word that we find throughout the Old Testament. It's a very intimate knowledge of God. It's a personal knowledge of God Most High. He talks about being born in Zion. And as you know, for the God's people, where you were born was very important. And even in the ancient Near East, the place of your birth, where, where did your lineage come from? Registering, recording by the Lord. God's taking account of those who are his people. 
So if you're a Jew in Jerusalem or Judah, or in Judah, so far so good, right? You know God. You have the law of Moses, and you're certain that you know God. Maybe you're not born in Zion specifically, but you're part of the, the sons of Abraham. You know your lineage. You're one of the 12 tribes. So if God was going to make a record, your name would be on it. You'd be registered by God. Let's think about what Jesus says about the people of his day in John 5. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And for if you believe Moses, you would believe in me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Who is Jesus speaking to there? The religious leaders of Israel. They thought they knew God. They believed in Moses. But they didn't truly believe Moses because they rejected Jesus Christ. We also read about the Jews in John 8. They answered him, Abraham is our father. How did Jesus respond to them? If you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. The people were trusting in their following the law of Moses. They were trusting in their lineage, that they were sons of Abraham. Oh, we could trust our every generation all the way back to Abraham. When it came to believing God's word, they weren't even following what Abraham believed. We need John the Baptist. What did he say? God could raise up sons of Abraham from the rocks. What did Jesus say of Jerusalem? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers to brood under her, under her wings, and you are not willing. See, your house has left you desolate. The city of Zion, the city of Jerusalem, what did they do to the prophets? They killed the prophets. Rejected the care that God had for her. And what was the result? Left desolate. God's holiness to be removed. Temple destroyed, walls destroyed, blood, bodies everywhere. Desolate. In Matthew 23, Jesus is not proclaiming of Jerusalem glorious things of the earth broken. In fact, exactly the opposite. So it would be proven, even in the time of Jesus, who are the true people of God. And we're not necessarily those of Hebrew blood. That's what Psalm 87 is foreshadowing. God's plan included the Gentiles. And it wasn't just one nation. It wasn't even a nation that was unknown to the people of Israel, a far-off nation. Well, God claims that among those who know him are people of Egypt, Babylon, perpetual thorn in the flesh, Philistia, Tyre, Ethiopia, ancient enemies of God's people. And yet they would come to know God. God is going to destroy all the walls of hostility and bring his people out of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And in many ways, that's what we think about when we think about Pentecost. The Spirit of God being poured out, not just limited any longer, but just poured out to all of God's people. And we see there in Acts 2, Jews from all over the Mediterranean were there in Jerusalem. They saw the Spirit come upon the apostles and heard this wonderful sermon. So many people came to faith and were baptized. What did they do? They went home, speaking to others about these things, gossiping the gospel, 
And we had the book of 1 Peter written to a lot of those who are, became Christians later in Asia Minor. The Spirit was poured out and went out. God's people are born again when the Spirit comes. We have a new spiritual identity, a new spiritual lineage. We are true sons of Abraham. John states in the first chapter of his gospel, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not to blood or the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. That's a fulfillment of Psalm 87. Those for whom God has given faith to know him, who know his name, what does God say of them? This one was born in Zion. That one's my child. Regardless of their earthly heritage, regardless of their earthly lineage, regardless of their last name. Too often in our history, especially in the United Reformed history, Dutch Reformed history, your last name means a lot. If it's not a Dutch last name, you're kind of suspect. It's a grievous sin. We trust our heritage, don't we? We trust our lineage. And to have somebody from the outside come in, a little hands off for a while. Who brings people into the church? God does. Not us. God brings people into his church. We don't bring our people into our church. Because God is doing the work, and he's doing it all over the globe. Bringing people into his church. How does he do that? Very simply, proclamation of the gospel. God has chosen, God has claimed his people. He brings them in. And just like God chose Zion, and God's the one who made it holy, because God is holy, so too does God choose his people and make them holy. God has chosen his people in Jesus Christ, and it is Christ by his imputed righteousness upon us. We are holy. As the Apostle Peter is going to say, we are a holy priesthood, a royal nation. Including Gentiles. Including us. We're holy. And it is in Christ that we can read in verse 6, the Lord records as he registers his people, this one was born there. This is echoed in Revelation chapter 20. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, it was thrown into the lake of fire. And nothing unclean will ever enter into it. That's the heavenly Jerusalem. Nor anyone, who does not, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So the Jews, as they considered those nations in Psalm 87, how would they have thought about those people? Detestable? Unclean? Yet they're the very ones whom God has written in his book. And why were they written in God's book? Because God chose them. God chose them before the foundations of the world. And they were trusting in the promised Messiah. For the Jews, what were they ultimately trusting in? Themselves. Their own law-keeping. Not necessarily the promised Messiah. And because of that, their names were written in a different book. So what book is your name written in? Where is your name? Are you born of Zion? Is your home the eternal city of God? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's preparing a place, a city for us. He's coming again. 
bring his brothers and sisters with him to our eternal city. And the good news of the gospel is that we come to that city through the mediation of Jesus Christ. We don't deserve to come in. All we can bring is filthy rags, our sin and our misery. Those rags have been taken off. We've been clothed with the garments of salvation. Because God has invited us in. Come. Come home. Come home. God lays his claim on us. This one, he was born here. That one, his city is Zion. They're mine. God says. And as we enter into the Zion, the city of God, what's going to be there? Well, that brings us to the final verse of this psalm and our final point. What's going to be there? Verse 7 expresses in a very brief statement the praise that follows seeing God bring his children into his city as he records and registers from all these nations. What do we see? Singers, dancers. And what's the point of the psalmist here? It's a joyous celebration. It's a celebration. It's a time to rejoice. It's a joyous occasion. And this too is portrayed in the book of Hebrews. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirit of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. That's where we're going. That's what's going to be there. Innumerable angels in festal gathering. Similar to what the psalmist is painting for us, isn't it? In Psalm 87. Of course, there's much we don't know about the specifics of heaven. But there's one thing we do know. It's going to be a joyous place. A joyous place. And that too, brothers and sisters, is part of our hope. And coming through the gates of Zion, singing the praises of the saints in the presence of the ascended and exalted Lord. That's where we're going. It's a joyous place. We need to think about that in the midst of the hardness of this life. Joyful, joyous. What does Psalm 87 have the singer singing? All my springs are in you. Earlier I mentioned that the psalm kind of starts abruptly. Well, it ends abruptly too. All my springs are in you. But yet there's something very profound, and even there's this very condensed song, these condensed lyrics that we have. And this is the song not only of those in the eternal city of God, but also of those on the way. This is also the song of those in their journey, on their pilgrimage. Because we are citizens both in heaven and here on earth. But the song is the same. All of our springs are in you, in Yahweh, our God. Of course, for those who are in heaven, it's easy to sing that. But for those on the earth in our wilderness journey, sometimes it's just an act of faith to say those things. An act of faith is to cry out, Lord, all my springs are in you. In the midst of a dry desert. Listen to a few words of Psalm 84, verses 5 through 7. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Many commentators don't know if the valley of Baca is a a physical valley or if it's just a metaphorical valley. But either way, it was a tough place. 
and our strength is in the Lord. He will give us what we need for our journey. What does he say there in Psalm 84? What comes up in that valley of Baca? Place of springs. Springs of the desert, they're life savers. They're life sustainers. They're a place of rest, a place of revitalization. Now, we don't have deserts here like they do like in the southwest U.S. But every once in a while, even driving through a bare desert, you'll see on the horizon just a clump of palm trees. It's an oasis. A little spring coming out of the ground, giving just enough for a small amount of life there in the midst of a dry desert. But our world, in many ways, as we go through our weeks, it's a dry desert. It's tough. It's hard. Guess where you are this morning? You're in an oasis. God has caused the spring to come up here at Wiser Lake Chapel. 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, and you're here for rest, revitalization, to drink deeply from the well of living water. That's why you're here. That's why we're here. God has brought you to a spring. Does that spring look like what we want it to look like? Probably not. But it's a spring nonetheless. God has brought us here to cause us to drink, and I pray that you do drink deeply. And you do so with joy. You do so with praise. Because think again about the last statement of this psalm. All my springs are in you. As we think about our Heavenly Father. What's that saying? In many ways, it's just a very simple, very basic statement. But it's a statement of childlike faith. Spoken to our God. Lord, whatever I need in body and soul, as we walk through this sad world, this veil of tears, all my springs are in you. We aren't looking for a life. We aren't finding our strength anywhere else but that which comes from the throne of God to us. In those famous words of Jesus in John 4, everyone who drinks of this water, earthly water, will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Brothers and sisters, where are you finding your water? Where are you finding your life? Where's your spring? In your day of trouble, on your pilgrimage, are you trying to dig your own wells? Find your own water? In the midst of the wilderness? Are you trusting your own abilities, your own savvy? Just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it through this. Some of you, I'm sure, might at times, maybe have just a hard time getting out of bed, let alone facing an entire day. Where do you take that first sip of water? First sip of water, what gets you up, gets you going? The last words of Psalm 87, all my springs are in you. We turn to the Lord. We find our strength in him. You may not feel like singing and dancing, that's okay. But your spring is found in the Lord. The Lord will bring you from strength to strength. And remember, Christian, you are his. You are his. You were born in Zion. God will bring you there. He will bring you to that glorious place. This one's mine. This one was born in Zion. And bring them home. Listen to, listen to the end of the very last chapter, or the beginning of the last chapter of the Bible, in Revelation 22. 
Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. There will be no need of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. What's the ultimate fulfillment of Psalm 87? What we just read in Revelation 22. The eternal heavenly Jerusalem. And brothers and sisters, that's your hometown. That's your town. And God has chosen us to be citizens of that eternal kingdom. We are born there. God has registered, recorded our names. We're in his book of life. And brothers and sisters, we truly do look forward to the day when we will see that city finally in all its glory, all its majesty, especially coming out of a wilderness journey that we are in. It's going to be glorious. And we will then proclaim, glorious things of thee are spoken. O city of God, all my springs are in you forever. Let's pray. Amen. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you, traveling through various valleys. Some of us, Lord, are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel as we have gone through a valley for, for many months, many years. Others, Lord, are just at the very beginning and do not see a way out. Lord, all our springs are in you. It is in you, Lord, that we go from strength to strength. And Lord, we pray that even coming into your house, every Lord's day, that Lord, this is a place of strength place for us to drink water, to hear about Jesus Christ, his righteousness has been imputed to us, strength to strength. And Lord, we do look forward to the day when all things will be made new, when we will be singing and dancing and giving you praise for all of eternity. Right now, Lord, things are not happy, things are hard, but for all of eternity, Lord, we will be with you in eternal bliss. Lord, continue to be with my brothers and sisters. Lord, carry them through this life and their wilderness journey. And Lord, may they too recognize and understand that they are yours. Their city is Zion. They were born in you. I'm looking forward to that day when your son Jesus Christ will come to make all things new. In your son's name we pray. Amen.